Welcome to Marx's Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net where you can donate and subscribe to our paper online and help support us in the struggle for socialism. Is there a God? As a Marxist materialist, I would have to say no, because Marxism is a materialist philosophy. Materialism states that matter is primary and thought does not occur without a brain. And you don't get a brain without a body. You don't get a body without food. And you don't get food without a material environment. Aristotle said that man first begins to philosophize when the necessities of life are provided. This is another way of saying, before we can think, we must eat. Materialism states that uh, nothing is supernatural. Supernatural means beyond nature, and nothing is beyond nature. We have a monist view. Everything comes from nature and is potentially understandable by studying nature, by observing and analyzing nature. And ideas are merely the highest forms to arise out of nature. Uh, In contradistinction to Marxism, religious idealism is dualist. Ideas exist above and independent of nature. And the biggest idea is God. Idealists accuse materialists of trying to explain everything. When in fact, the opposite is true. Uh, Socrates supposedly said, all that I know is that I know nothing. He meant that knowledge is infinite and what I know is finite. What I do not know overwhelms what I do know. But that does not mean that the unknown is unknowable. It is religions that try to explain everything. A materialist will say, I don't know. Let's investigate. Religion says uh, God did it. No need to investigate because saying God did something is an explanation. Yeah, religion attempts to give uh, answers to so-called big questions in life. Why do I exist? Why does the world exist? Why do bad things happen? And what happens when you die? So let's have a go at answering these questions. So we'll start with why do I exist? Because God made man in his own image. Uh, The funny thing is, is that the various gods have tended to always look like their worshippers. Viking gods dressed like Vikings. Greek gods dressed like Greeks. And if birds had gods, they'd probably have wings. It's not God that creates man in his own image, but man that creates gods that look like them. A good quote here on that from Michael de Montaigne. Uh, Man is quite stark mad. He cannot make a worm, and yet he makes gods by the dozen. Uh, materialism Materialism has no problem answering why we are here. Natural selection. Organic life emerges from inorganic inorganic molecules. Single cell life appears, multicellular, vertebrates, mammals, eventually primates. Through collective labor, a primate emerged that had the ability to think abstractly and plan. So, you know, I'll chase that gazelle around that tree. You hide behind it with a stick and hit it with it uh, when it comes around. Uh, that fairly simple statement I just made involves planning and understanding of cause and effect. 
Engels explained this uh, fantastically in his part played by Labour in the transition from ape to man. Eventually, consciousness evolves and even religion. Religion states that, or at least some religious people state, that a materialist explanation is boring and grey. I think people who say this have no sense of imagination about the beauty and the complexity of reality. It's that curiosity that really drives science. Incidentally, the best argument for natural selection is not how perfect everything is. The best argument for natural selection is how imperfect. Why do you have an appendix? It is totally useless. Why would an intelligent designer give you an appendix? Does he want people to get appendicitis and die? Now, rabbits have huge appendices for digesting vegetation. And an appendix was useful for our common ancestor with rabbits. Our diet has changed, so we no longer need it. It's a vestigial structure that will likely disappear after thousands of years of evolution. So I, I find the, the answer, God did it, don't ask questions, far more boring than investigating the real mysteries of nature. Okay, so that leads us to our second question. Uh, why does the world exist? And actually, Joel, could you give me a heads up every 15 minutes? So Yes. Um, so in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, there was the world. Uh, God separated the heavens from the earth. And as a good trade unionist, he rested on the Sabbath day. But in the beginning was not the word, but the deed. And nobody was around to have words for another four billion years or more. Uh, gases from a previously exploded star condensed to form the sun and the planets. Uh, Napoleon actually asked Laplace to, uh, what role did God play in his theory of the formation of the solar system? Laplace answered, I had no need for that hypothesis because God exists two steps away from established fact. Here is what is known. Here is what is unknown. Between these two lines is where religious and scientific debate happens. But the march of history shows science advancing and religion falling back. Uh, people used to think that the earth was flat, although I heard that some people still do. Uh, Galileo was persecuted by the Inquisition for saying that the earth goes around the sun. 15 minutes. And, and we don't currently fully understand the structure of the universe. Our religion says that God stands before the Big Bang, uh, lighting the match. It says that this is unknowable. Marxist materialists say nothing is unknowable. We just don't currently understand the structure and the evolution of the universe very well. But we are confident that in time we will, and there's no need for a God. Uh, the fact that uh, biology is better understood than com cosmology ha has led to the fact that there's actually a lot more uh, religion amongst physicists than, than there is biologists. So we have to ask ourselves, why do we even care about the question why the universe exists? Because it is a large, complicated phenomenon that affects our lives. Uh, the, the answer, God created the universe, isn't actually an answer. You've just replaced one large complicated thing with another large complicated thing. If explaining the origin of the universe is interesting, surely explaining the origin of the thing that created the universe is even more interesting. Religion just moves the question one step back and then says you're not allowed to ask questions about God. Okay, 
Why do bad things happen? Well, religion has two answers for this. Either because you angered the Lord. This is the Old Testament God that some people, some religious preachers said God created AIDS to punish homosexuals. Or you've got the the New Testament God who uh, moves in mysterious ways. There is a divine plan and everything will turn out for the best eventually. What the divine plan is for COVID, God only knows. But materialism has two answers to why bad things happen as well. First answer, basic answer, is because we don't understand what's going on. That this is like the early days of the COVID outbreak. Nobody understood what was happening. But then there's a, a second explanation for bad things uh, because of class society. We understand perfectly what's going on, but the ruling class doesn't care. For example, now COVID-19 is way worse for, for poor and for black people. That is you know, an explicit expression of the class society because capitalism is horror without end. Wars, violence, racism, unemployment, sickness, environmental destruction. People want an answer to all this horror. Why does it exist? People want some form of control. Uh, If They think that if I pray hard enough, it'll all go away. And if I don't pray, worse things will happen. Fear and ignorance are very, very powerful motivators. Hey, Alex, sorry. Sorry, can you pause a little bit longer for the translation? Sure. Just ask Donald Trump. Uh, and, and that leads us to, you know, if I don't believe, I will go to hell, which leads us to our last question. What happens when you die? Nothing is more frightening than death. And it's comforting to know that you will meet your loved ones uh, when you die. Um, the fear of hell and the comfort of heaven help keep people in line. Uh, Napoleon actually made a good quote about this. Uh, In religion, I see the social order. Uh, The idea of heaven saves the rich from being massacred by the poor. If people didn't think there was something better uh, later, then many could not survive. People couldn't cope with, is this it? Well, we have to fight for a better world. Materialism says, from atoms I came and to atoms I shall return. Every blood cell in your body contains hemoglobin. At the center of that hemoglobin molecule is an iron atom. And that iron atom was created at the center of a dying star that went supernova. We are literally made of stardust. I was alive. I was matter organized in a certain way. Self-conscious matter, matter fighting against the laws of entropy. But eventually we all succumb to entropy. Our atoms return to the universe. I personally find that very comforting. Uh, The only immortality we can have is either via our children or by doing good things that are remembered. So that's why we fight for the working class. We fight for a better humanity. And this gives meaning to our lives. Now, I've been detailing a number of rational arguments uh, against uh, uh, religious philosophy. But uh, actually, if you look at history, you'll see that rational arguments don't work against religion. They don't work uh, with somebody who genuinely believes. And and Marx and Lenin explain this many times. Uh, Religion has a real materialist base and it will not disappear while that material base continues to exist. Everybody knows the quote, uh, religion is the opium of the masses. 
although taken like that, it actually can sound a little insulting to those who believe. But most people don't know the full quote. Religious suffering is at one and the same time the expression of real suffering and a protest against real suffering. The heart of a heartless world and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. Religion will not disappear while suffering, oppression and poverty exist. See, see, the key question here is not whether there is life after death. Uh, the key question is whether there is any life before death. When, when people have terrible, terrible conditions, then uh, they need to believe to give them an outlet. We must have a materialist, historical understanding of religion. At one point, uh, religion actually represented a revolution in human consciousness. Humans started asking why. Animals don't ask why. Asking why is a necessary stage in consciousness. Why does the sun come up? Why does the river flow? Why does the tree grow? Because of the sun god, because of the tree spirit, because of the river sprite. 30 minutes. The answers are wrong, but the question itself is revolutionary. This spirituality goes by the name of animism, giving spirits to uh, inanimate objects. And it corresponds to a primitive classless society. But the birth of class society corresponds with the real transition from spirituality to religion. Um, Class society, a surplus, allowed the formation of a priest caste. Uh, These thinkers, living off the labour of others, were were able to track the stars. Egyptian priests predicted the flooding of the Nile, very important for agriculture. Stonehenge was used to predict uh, midsummer and midwinter. And here you see science is combined with magic and ritual. If you've ever been to Stonehenge, uh, you'll see there's embankments around the edge of it. And, and it's believed that these embankments are there were actually to keep the masses out. The priests and other sectors of the ruling class would go inside and they'd study the stones. And, and then they'd come out and tell the people it was a fertile time. And then they'd all have a big party. But we we don't just see standing stones in the old world. There's also standing stones in the Americas. Uh, A few years ago, I was lucky enough to go to Colombia. And and I I visited a village uh, called uh, Villa de Leva. My Spanish is terrible, sorry. And uh, and just outside this village, a whole series of standing stones that they're all in lines to uh, predict the seasons. Uh, But next to the, the stone calendar were other stones. And these were uh, labelled El Infianito. Uh, Now, these were five metre high stone phalluses and that were there for a fertility festival. And the the Spanish Catholics obviously changed the name. Uh, But uh, you you see that uh, religion has evolved in different societies. Uh, It's in the interest of religion to promote ideas over the material world. This bolsters the privilege of the priest caste over the labouring masses. The, uh, the Roman philosopher Seneca also had a very good quote about this. Religion is regarded by the common people as true, by the wise as false, and by the rulers as useful. As class society changed, so did religion. Slave society, uh, with many masters, had parallels in polytheism. Many masters, many gods. Eventually, the Roman Empire came into crisis. And, and, and Christianity arose as a revolutionary mass movement. 
was part of an anti-imperialist movement of Jews in Roman-occupied Palestine. To go with its uh, sort of revolutionary roots, Christianity was referred to as a religion of women and slaves. The early Christians were communists. Uh, they shared out all their wealth. And there's some you know, fantastic uh, anti-capitalist statements in the Bible. Money is the root of all evil. Uh, a rich man cannot enter heaven, or at least it's supposed to be very, very difficult. Uh, but in the material world, the Christians also provided a, a form of collective welfare uh, in collapsing Roman society. Uh, the Roman emperors tried to oppress the rising Christian movement. Emperor Nero threw the Christians to the lions, created a great number of martyrs in the process. But those martyrs were used to rally the cause. All experience shows that religion actually grows on oppression. Because if people really believe that uh, heaven and salvation is the only way out of this suffering, then, then there's no reason to, to recant because then uh, you're going to end this way out of the suffering. So the crisis in the Roman Empire eventually led to a split in the ruling class and Constantine lent on the Christians to win power. And, uh, and he convened the, the Council of Nicaea. It brought together all of the different Christian factions, uh, told them, look, you must come to a common doctrine. Uh, the stories is he had to sort of lock the door and leave them without food until they sorted it out. Uh, in, in the process of creating Christianity as a state religion. Which Alex, course, can you, they, sorry, can you speak a little bit slower for the translators? Uh, which, of course, they uh, uh, ditched uh, the common, communist baggage while becoming a state religion. And this gave Rome a period of stability, actually, prior to its uh, inevitable collapse. Uh, and in power, the, uh, the Christians enacted uh, terrible oppression against the, uh, the pagan polytheists. Okay, so going on to feudalism. Uh, now, monotheist Catholic Christianity was the perfect religion for feudalism. One church, one God, one king. The church was an intrinsic part of the state and a major landowner. It was inherently conservative opposed to progress. At, you know, there was ma the massacres of the Inquisition and the Crusades. And, uh, and in, in response to this uh, religious oppression, wrapped up with state repression, the, the rising bourgeois turned to Protestantism. Luther translated the Bible in the 16th century. Uh, previously, it was in Latin, only in Latin. So only the priests could read it. And then the priests could interpret the Bible in any way they saw fit. Now, you know, <clears throat> it's people ask, what's the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism? Well, there's lots of outer differences. Uh, Catholic uh, churches and cathedrals are very grand, lots of gold everywhere. Protestant churches are a lot more plain. And 45 that, minutes. Uh, famous Protestant work ethic. You can see how it's linked to the bourgeois. But there's one major um, doctrine doctrinal difference. Uh, the Catholics believe in salvation by deeds and the Protestants believe in salvation by faith. Now, you know, for, the, for the Catholics, you could buy uh, forgiveness. Uh, there's even a, you know, there's a whole list of uh, prices for various sins, including rape and murder and infanticide. And, and this is how they got the money for all these huge cathedrals. 
but the uh, the Protestant salvation by faith is a lot cheaper. You know, I, I have faith, I'm saved, which allowed the bourgeois to, to use their capital to reinvest in production instead of building cathedrals. This leads us to the English Revolution in the 17th century. And, and everybody should listen to Alan Woods's excellent series on the revolution. And in that, Alan explains how the only way that political tendencies could express themselves was by via religious sects. Our reaction was Catholic. Uh, the big bourgeois were Presbyterian and the vanguard were Anabaptists and independents. Uh, actually, when you look at history, you'll see there are two gods. There's the reactionary god of the ruling class and the potentially revolutionary god of the masses. We fight against the church when it unites with the ruling class to oppress the masses. But we, but we unite with believers when their faith is how they express their opposition to oppression. You've seen liberation theology in Latin America. In, in, in our Venezuela solidarity work, uh, you know, I've, I've had the honor of working hand in hand uh, with uh, many liberation theologists. Uh, you, you saw the, the beginning of the 1905 Russian Revolution, where the masses lined up behind uh, Father Gopon. Yeah. Actually, I, I do a radio show with the radical Reverend uh, Sherry DeNovo, a United Church minister. We haven't actually re- discussed religion on the show yet. <laughs> uh, but in a few weeks, she's giving a, a talk on how Jesus was a communist. Yeah. Lenin said that during a strike is probably the worst time to bring up atheism. The boss will try everything in his power to divide and conquer the workers. We need unity to win a strike. Uh, we can discuss uh, whether or not there is a God, God after the workers have fought together and built that solidarity by fighting. So we'll move forward in history 150 years to the French Revolution. The French Revolution didn't need religion like the English Revolution. The, the revolutionary French bourgeois were atheists, and the, the counter-revolution was based upon the religious Vendée. So, so we open our arms to religious workers who want to fight oppression. But while we do that, we must be absolutely clear on the reactionary role of the church. Pope Alexander VI issued the Doctrine of Discovery in 1493, and this was the papal justification for the murderous colonization by Christopher Columbus. It is estimated that 175 million indigenous were killed in the colonization of the Americas. Remember that next time one of these right-wing idiots starts yelling about 100 million dead from communism. That 100 million is bull, but colonialism and capitalism killed 175 million indigenous, or blessed by the church. And uh, uh, actually, South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu has a, a good quote about colonialism. When the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. We closed our eyes. When we opened them, we had the Bible and they had the land. We've seen incredible corruption scandals in all of the churches. They covered up sexual assaults. In Canada, all of the churches were involved in uh, native uh, residential schools. Uh, thousands and thousands were abused and murdered. 
uh, and this has been labelled a genocide. Uh, and in Ireland, um, there's uh, horrendous stories. In convents, they found piles of baby corpses, baby skeletons from unwed mothers. So we must have an absolutely clear-eyed view about the reactionary role of the church when united with the state. And, and that's why Marxists believe in a total separation of church and state, freedom of religion and freedom from religion. Nobody will oppress you for your belief, but you can't oppress anybody else. You can't demand tax breaks or state funding. Religion with respect to the state, it should be a totally private affair. Do it on your own time with your own money. And this is not the case in a large number of countries. You know, there's state funding of Catholic schools. The Pakistani state is officially Islamic. Judaism is the official religion of Israel. And Palestinians are second-class citizens. This is totally reactionary. But we will fight against all forms of religious oppression. Uh, we were, the Marxists were at the forefront of uh, fighting anti-Semitism of the Tsarist state that organized regular, regular pogroms against the Jews that killed thousands. And, and this led to sort of many Jews becoming Marxists, like Leon Trotsky, Rosa Luxemburg. Yeah. I, I, and one feature of state religion is stinking hypocrisy, that, uh, you know, you've got a sort of very pious religious men like George Bush and Tony Blair, who one had hour. absolutely no problem using religion to justify the killing of thousands and thousands. Uh, They've mobilized Islamophobia, advanced the ideas of a clash of civilizations, all to justify imperialist wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's it's estimated there's been half a million violent deaths in these countries directly as a result of the imperialist invasion, and then millions more social deaths and excess uh, uh, death rates. Islamophobia is now totally rampant in Western capitalism. So we've seen under the false banner of secularism, the oppression of Muslim women wearing head coverings. Now, some, even some feminists have uh, jumped on board this oppression of Muslim women. Talk about how Iranian women are forced to wear head coverings. See, see in Iran, you've got the state telling Muslim women that they must wear head coverings. In France and Quebec and other countries, you're having the state tell Muslim women they cannot wear head covering. Marxists believe that the state should stop telling women what to wear. And we unite with them against state repression. Because, you know, and, and in the West, this is done you know, under the so-called banner of secularism. But such oppressive secularism does absolutely nothing to end religiosity. It, it is just a way of attacking immigrants and dividing and conquering the working class. So uh, Marxists offer our solidarity against this racist religious oppression. And we aim to unite the working class against all state repression. Uh, The imperialists have also tried to use religion to stop socialism. Uh, They uh, funded the Taliban in Afghanistan to destabilize the Soviet-backed regime. The, uh, The CIA and Mossad built up Hamas as a counterweight to socialist Palestinian factions. But now Islamic fundamentalism is a Frankenstein's monster of imperialism. Uh, We've seen sort of Al-Qaeda and ISIS 
rise up and uh, and bit the imperialists that previously funded them. But there's not just Islamic fundamentalism. There's Hindu fundamentalism in India, Buddhist Buddhist fundamentalism in Sri Lanka, Jewish fundamentalism in the occupied territories, and Christian fundamentalism in the United States. But we we shouldn't let this um, uh, cloud our view that, in fact, religion is in general decline. Uh, The United States is actually one of the most religious Western countries, but even the United States is decreasing. Uh, In 1998, 70% of Americans were a member of a church. Uh, By 2018, that had been reduced to 50%. And the non-religious are also increasing. In the early 1970s, only 6% of Americans were non-religious. Now that's about 22%. Uh, Women are about 10% more likely to be religious than men in the United States. And and this makes sense uh, because religion tends to have a stronger hold on the more oppressed layers. But uh, when you see the fundamentalist evangelical Christians, they're 61% men. So you've seen this polarization in society, movement to the left and to the right. So while you see a sort of a a growth in uh, uh, non-religious attitudes, uh, you've also seen, for those who stay religious, more fundamentalist Christianity. So a higher proportion of white Protestants in the United States are born-again Christians. And these churches tend to be quite reactionary. Uh, 66% of church members consider themselves Republicans. They oppose evolution and abortion. And, and this makes up 25% of the U.S. population. Uh, and, and yet, they, you know, the hypocrisy of these churches for supporting Donald Trump is amazing. Given his uh, repeated adultery and, and general sinf- sinfulness, but it's all part of a capitalist attempt to use religion to divide and conquer the working class. And divide and conquer is a major feature of religion. You saw the divide between the partition of India and Pakistan. You see the divide in Northern Ireland. They tried to use religion against the Venezuelan revolution. Actually, Chavez dealt with this quite smartly. He quoted uh, socialist Bible verses, said that Jesus was a communist fighting imperialism. And uh, he attacked the church for its hypocrisy and for supporting the rich. Now, if you want to see how not to deal with religion, look to Stalinism. Uh, the Stalinists persecuted religion. Uh, this is very stupid. Now, the Romans showed how a religious persecution merely leads to an increase in religion. It makes, makes the religion stronger. And, and it made the church a center for pro-capitalist opposition in Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. And after the fall of Stalinism, you saw how uh, the former Stalinist states were invaded by a wave of religious sects. So we can't fall for divide and conquer, but we also can't rely upon uh, bourgeois rationalists to stop religion. Uh, About 15 years ago, uh, the geneticist uh, Richard Dawkins organized uh, new atheists uh, to attack religion. Uh, 15 minutes left but uh, these his rationalist arguments didn't actually convince anybody he was actually religious also it was totally devoid of uh, any class analysis or class approach you can't ignore the class question when you're studying when you're discussing religion Uh, subsequently Dawkins turned more Islamophobic and more openly reactionary 
So actually, if you look at the people who are new atheists about a decade ago, uh, uh, t- today uh, they've split into two camps. Uh, half of them are communists and half of them are fascists. I, I know even some comrades who are new atheists back in the day. So we fight for class solidarity and unity of the workers across, across religious lines. Religion is a private affair with regard to the state, or at least it should be. But what approach do we take within the Revolutionary Party? Lenin wrote quite a lot on this. So you do not have to be an atheist to join the international Marxist tendency. But the, the INT is atheist. We don't close our doors to good class fighters. So if you believe that capitalism must be overthrown, that the working class needs an organization to help them do this, and you're willing to build the INT as that organization, then you're welcome in our ranks and we'll discuss and we will discuss religion as comrades. We understand that people don't give up their faith overnight. Also for those very atheist comrades, it's very important to be patient with someone with belief, to not make fun of them. They'll get there. They'll get there. Um, but to, to, the, to those with belief, we have to say, look, look, being a communist is not just about being a fighter. It's not just about what's in your heart, although it, that is vitally important. Being a communist is also about thinking and understanding. Uh, that's why we've organized this fantastic school. And in our view, the best method of analysis is dialectical materialism. I've seen many communists become materialists as through fighting, they understood that dialectical materialism was the best method to win a victory for the workers. And, and that's what's really important here. What will help us win victory for the workers and overthrow capitalism? And amongst the youth, you've seen a general trend of rejecting religion. Millennials are 20% less religious than Generation X in the United States. But you've also seen a rise in so-called spirituality. In 2012, uh, 19% of Americans were spiritual but not religious. Five years later, that had actually risen to 27%. So spirituality encompasses New Age, astrology, tarot, stuff like that. Uh, It's belief in the supernatural, but a rejection of church and state. And in some ways, it's progressive to reject organized religion. Uh, But uh, but I've heard people say that this is harmless. Well, yes and no. You can see it's just a bit of entertainment to uh, check your horoscope in the newspaper. Although I don't think young people read newspapers anymore. But, But then I've actually seen people get really upset over this question. And, and, and that made me believe that there's something else going on, that uh, this spirituality must give people something more than just entertainment. Tarot and astrology, you know, they're all linked uh, in some way with uh, predicting the future. Capitalism is, is very scary and unpredictable for working class people. Terrible things happen on a regular basis and people want uh, some sense of control and, you know, uh, predicting the future spirituality, it gives people that control, but it, it is a false control. And while uh, spirituality is not part of the state, it is part of capitalism. Fortune telling is a $2 billion industry in the United States. And, and there's numerous stories of people being scammed and manipulated by so-called psychics. And they lost tens of thousands of dollars in the process. So, so we say... The best view of the world, if you want to change the world, 
is a view of the world derived from the world itself, that rejecting notions of the supernatural will help you change the world. As I started this lead off, there, there is nothing supernatural, nothing beyond nature. And, and having that clear-eyed understanding of reality is what is really going to help you to change reality. Because this is what this entire discussion is about, changing the world. We have to understand capitalism if we wish to overthrow it. And if we w- wish to end all of the evils of capitalism, which, which see, forces people to turn to spirituality or religion. But we can't demand a perfect working class to do this. We're going to overthrow capitalism with the working class that exists today, not an imaginary ideal working class. Christians and Buddhists, Muslims and Jews, believers and non-believers, all sectors of the working class. We unite, we unite all of those workers against capitalism. We build a new society without oppression, exploitation and poverty. And we can debate whether there's a heaven in the sky, why we're actually concretely building a heaven on earth. And, and us atheists believe that under these improved conditions, religion will tend to wither away. If you remove oppression and poverty, people will feel less of a need to turn to these ideas. But we're also aware that this won't happen immediately. It may take a few generations, but the point is to find out. The struggle builds the unity. And as we struggle, we will learn from each other. So let's get on with overthrowing capitalism. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marx's Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net. And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.